Folk, as you watch and listen to the news, you become painfully aware that we live in a troubled world. For many in our own land, and then many more beyond, these are days when it's hard to live as a Christian. The book of Haggai has just 38 verses in two chapters. It's near the end of the Old Testament among the books that we usually call the minor prophets. But minor only in the sense that they are brief compared with the major prophets such as Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah. Now before looking at the text there's some background that we should go through. Uh, When did these things happen? And uh, who was involved? So we come to some relevant history. We go back a long way in time to the ancient world when the Babylonians were the controlling power in the world of that time. Now if we impose on that map the names of current nations then we see that we are actually thinking about places like Syria and Iraq and Israel and Egypt. Nations which continue to play a key role in history in our time. Well that's where it happened. Now some significant dates. In 586 BC the Babylonian army led by King Nebuchadnezzar defeated Israel and destroyed Jerusalem. Many of the Israelite people were taken away to Babylon some 1,200 kilometres to the east, about from here to Newcastle. They had lost their land, they had lost their king, they'd lost their temple and many of them thought they'd lost their God. Well, the years passed and eventually Babylon itself was overthrown and Persia became the new dominant world power. Now, in 538 BC, the Persian king of the time allowed some 50,000 of those people to return to Jerusalem. They didn't all return, but 50,000 or so did. But it wasn't a happy time. Those who had been left in Jerusalem originally had taken over whatever they wanted in the destroyed city and they may well have resented the return of their fellow Jews from Jerusalem. And then others who had remained behind in Jerusalem adopted the ways of the Babylonian occupiers of their land and actively opposed those who returned and tried to re-establish their former lifestyle. So what should these returning people do? In 537 they made the choice to rebuild the altar which stood in front of the temple and then they started to repair the foundations of the temple but the restoration work didn't last long. The workers faced aggressive opposition and they quit. Well now looking ahead in time, 
They did eventually complete the work on the temple in 516 BC. Now it's interesting that the time interval between the destruction of the temple in 586 and then its complete restoration in 516 is a period of 70 years and we often take that as the duration of the Babylonian exile. Well now later on various other groups returned under the leadership of Ezra and Nehemiah and uh, that's another part of the story. But in this series we're interested in the year 520 BC. That's the year of Haggai's ministry when he brought messages of hope for the disheartened people of Jerusalem. So we go back to about 500 BC when some small countries in the Middle East as we know it were struggling with some basic problems. The problems included war, social upheaval, what do you do with refugees, religious tensions, economic stress, resettlement of displaced persons and human rights issues. Now as history has unfolded over the subsequent centuries we find that similar problems have now spread throughout the entire world. We still struggle with the same basic issues. So this little book has a message for all time. Well, where it happened, who was involved, but let's have a look at the book of Haggai. What does it look like? We'll use the headings, theme, structure and then the names of some important people who appear in the text. Now the theme of the book is the rebuilding of the temple following those failed earlier attempts. Now the two chapters can be divided up this way. There's a brief summarised version of four messages that Haggai was given to pass on to people. And then there's a few notes that tell us how the people responded to his first message. So the structure has five parts to it. Now about some of the characters. This little book is named after Haggai, its author. Now the opening verse states that the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Now that is actually a very vital point for us. The defining role of a prophet is that he speaks God's words. Now who do we look to as the true prophet who has spoken God's words? Is it Jesus Christ or, as many would say, no, it's the prophet Muhammad? Or is it someone else? Now Darius was the greatest of the Persian kings and then we find that there's another person, Zerubbabel and he was of the royal line of David, he was a Jew and he was one of the people who returned from Babylon. Now he must have been a capable person because he was chosen by the Persian authorities to be the governor of the region of Judah. And he was the one who supervised the renovations of the temple. Next there is a person named Joshua, not the one from Moses' time, 
but a person who was a high priest and therefore a religious leader. Zerubbabel had been a civil leader. Now we've got a religious leader. And he returned from Babylon with Zerubbabel. Now Haggai uses a compound name for God. He uses again and again the title, The Lord Almighty. He uses this name 14 times in 38 verses. That seems significant. Now Lord, spelt in capital letters, is the special name by which God's people could refer to him, indicating he is the self-existent one who keeps his word and delivers his people. Almighty means that he rules over all powers, seen and unseen, those in heaven and those on earth. Now as the Lord Almighty, he is not one among many gods, but he is the one true God who stands above and beyond all others. This is the God who remains the same yesterday in the past, today in the present and on into the future, indeed forever. But there's one final point before we actually get to the text. Why does this little book concentrate on the temple? Aren't people more important? Why does the thing feature so prominently in the story? Thinking back to the book of Exodus and to the tabernacle which was in due time replaced by the temple of Solomon, we recall that this unique structure was the place where God was present with his people. Now Haggai's listeners could have asked, if the temple is in ruins, where is God? Well, now we can turn to the text. Page 937 in the Bibles in the seat racks. Page 937. Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 to 11, Haggai's first message. Verses 1 and 2 give us an introduction. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, that is of the Jewish calendar, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Now if we convert that Old Testament date to our calendar system, it was the 29th of August, year 520 BC. It was the second year of the reign of that great king Darius. Now the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. The first verse indicates that Haggai did not begin with a large audience. Only two people are named. But they were key people. Zerubbabel the governor, civil leader of the people, and Joshua the high priest, a religious leader. The message given to these two men was brief yet puzzling. Just one sentence. The Lord Almighty says, these people say the time has not yet come for the Lord's temple to be built. Now notice a contrast here. The Lord Almighty says, 
these people say? Now whose word counts? The two men who heard this part of the message were left to think about this. Where do they stand in this situation? Had the people given up too easily on the work of restoring the temple? Was there something else that to them was more important? We move on to verses 3 and 4. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your panelled houses while this house remains a ruin? Here's a question to be considered. Is it time? Now having spoken first to the two leaders... Maybe Haggai has turned and he's now addressing a crowd of people that has gathered. Haggai was the speaker, but it's God speaking through him. He had a question for them. You people, is it time for you to be living in your panelled houses while this other one remains a ruin? Now that's a very skilful way to get people to think. Ask them a penetrating question. But we've got another contrast now between your panelled houses and this ruined house, God's house. Verse 5. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your words. Again Haggai reminds us that it's the Lord Almighty who is speaking. This one true God who entered into a special covenant relationship with Abraham way back in their history. This mighty God who had delivered their ancestors from the Egyptians through Moses. This God who had renewed and extended his covenant through David. This God wants them now to think about what they are doing. The people had to think carefully about their own houses on the one hand and God's house on the other. They'd chosen to build their own houses first. And when they're described as panelled houses... It implies that these were not simple cottages. These were something greater and better. So something was out of order here. Self-centredness had led them astray and God had been pushed into second place. They needed to stop and think. First Sunday in January. 2015 maybe it's a time for us to stop and think well we go on to verses 6 to 8 now this is what the Lord Almighty says give careful thought to your ways you have planted much but harvested little you eat but never have enough 
you drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages, only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord says, give careful thought to your ways. Now here in verse 6, God tells the people what they should think about. These verses describe tough times due to drought and adverse climatic conditions. Crops failed. They were always hungry or cold. All was short of money, it seemed. Now, these people who'd been through the trials of exile, like many refugees of our time, but now they've returned home. At first thought, we might think, now they will live happily ever after. But not so. Not so. Life turns out to be a struggle. Now, why would this be? Now you see in the top corner there a reference to Deuteronomy chapter 28. Now this chapter is part of God's instructions through Moses about how the people were to live when they first entered that promised land. And in summary there were two options for them. You can do it this way or that way. Now Moses told the people in verse 8 The Lord will bless you in the land he is giving you. Then in verse 11, the Lord will grant you abundant prosperity. The Lord will send rain and bless all the work of your hands. But it wasn't happening in Jerusalem for these people. So we read on, verse 13. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God and carefully follow them, you'll always be at the top and never at the bottom. That sounds great. We love to be on top of things. But these people are down the bottom. We read on. Disobedience will bring trouble. Now here's another contrast. Deuteronomy 28 gives us a view of what life was intended to be for these people in the promised land. But what they have been experiencing is something very different. Give careful thought to your ways. Now it's interesting that verse 5 and verse 7 are virtually the same. Now that's a literary structure that's often used in Hebrew. Take note, take note and in the middle is an expression of what they are to take note of. It's called an inclusion. So give careful thought to your ways. Here are the things to think about. What you are experiencing in daily life. And then to conclude, now think carefully about these things. Well, careful thought about what was happening to them in daily life could provide answers to their troubles.
Drought was not the real problem. Lack of money was not the real problem. You are not listening to the Lord. Well, there's a truth to be remembered. The concluding verses 9 to 11 of this first message. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, God says, I blew away. Why? declares the Lord Almighty. Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields, on the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the oil and whatever the ground produces on men, on cattle and on the labour of your hands. You see, God had not changed. He was true to his word. They drifted away from following him and the Lord Almighty had brought these troubles on them. He'd not forgotten them. He was alerting them to the danger of following their own self-centred ways instead of following him. Interesting point. Do we ever think of famines or floods or other so-called natural disasters as events intended to remind us of something? To get us to think? The continuing truth throughout scripture is this. Obedience leads to blessing. Disobedience brings trouble. God remained the Lord Almighty and in grace and mercy he was actually trying to win these people back to obedience and service. They'd been sidetracked by self-interest and the materialistic culture of their day. Well, it's time to summarise. How do we apply this? Are there lessons here for us? We live in times when self-centredness and apathy, carelessness towards God, are common. It's easy to drift from our commitment to the Lord under the subtle pressures of our materialistic, secular culture. But God does not change. He remains the Lord Almighty who calls us to trust, follow and obey him. And how important it is that we understand the scriptures that reveal to us the truth about God and his purposes for his people, for us. The God who has called us to live for him in troubled and antagonistic times. Right understanding of his word is a key to right thinking which can issue in consistent obedience expressed 
by appropriate actions. I skipped over verse 8 before. If they do return and follow God, then they will go up into those mountains and get the timber and bring it down and rebuild the house and thereby God will be honoured. Dot, dot, dot. And they will be blessed. But also how vital it is for us that we have godly leaders in civil life, in religious life, in our churches, in our church, that we have those to whom God can speak, who know, follow and obey him and can thereby lead us well. The author of Hebrews, writing to believers facing a challenging time in the New Testament period, said, we must pay careful attention too to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. But we don't have temples anymore. So how is God going to be present with us? Just wait till next week. So summarising what we've seen today, Haggai gives us a little introduction and then he gives us a question to make the people think. You need to give time and thought to this. Look back at the past. See what God has been doing and remember the truths that do not change with time. The Lord says, people say, the Lord's house, our houses. Life as the Lord intended it to be, life as we find it, day by day. Well, what's going to happen? Well, next week we'll look at the rest of chapter 1 and the start of chapter 2. Now, on the name tags table on the corner, there'll be some printed notes of this morning's session if you would like to take one. But just now, let us pray. Father, for these people long ago, it was a time to stop and think about some key issues. Now as most of us leave aside the ordinary things of daily life that goes on throughout the year, maybe it's a time for us to stop and think. Did those who'd returned to Jerusalem take notice of what you said or did they go their own way? Were they really putting you first or had they become self-centred? Were they living as you intended or had they given way to other ideas and practices around them? Well, what about us? We've been reminded that what really counts is not better houses or improved drought relief or more government assistance. Our basic need is to understand your word and then to obey it. We do pray that we may have leaders, leaders at government level, leaders in our own church 
who honour, trust and obey you so that they might lead us well throughout the year that lies ahead of us. We ask that you will equip us with all that we need for doing everything good according to your will and that together we will pursue what is pleasing to you through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.